0: We have an efficient, info-rich show for you today. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, oh, well, kiss of death. Here we go. He always says this. This is a tell. As soon as he says it's going to be an efficient show, we get the least efficient show we've ever had. No, watch me. Yesterday, I asked people to write in. I said, hey, if you want to be a buzzard, why don't you be a funny buzzard? Why don't you be an interesting buzzard? So we had this funny buzzard write in. Bill O'Brien is literally... Arian Foster's Achilles' heel. <laughs> right? That was good. Yes! Yes! You did it! You're funny, Buzzards! You're funny! Good job! Yes! This is a, this is an exciting moment! Yes! A watershed moment for the Buzzard flock. Comedy! You did it. Congratulations. But we also had some other Buzzards right in. An unfunny buzzard wrote, I'm reading that verbatim. W, lots of A's, exclamation point. W, lots of A's, exclamation point. Continues, you sound like a bitter Arian Foster owner. Why don't you calm down and tell us which Texan's running back to pick up? Me calm down. Why don't you calm down? I'm calm enough. I'm already calm. I'm not calm. This Arian Foster injury is killing me. Do you want to know why it's killing me? I am biased. Why did you come out just spitting vitriol in all directions? Specifically, trying to spit vitriol into Bill O'Brien's butt chin. Why were you doing that? Why, why are you so angry at him? Here are the roots of my frustration with this Arian Foster injury. I owned Arian Foster in my high stakes home league that I care the most about. It's a very deep league. Two quarterback, three running back, five receivers, flex, two tight ends, two kickers, and only four bench spots. Ah, my ideal format. Just very few bench spots. And I had invested in some players that weren't playing early. Todd Gurley, Arian Foster, Alshon Jeffrey. I traded for Austin Severian Jenkins. And now all these guys were coming back. I was going to get Deshaun Jackson back. He was injured. So... My team took losses early in the season and then in the last few weeks had turned into a juggernaut. It was like a transformer. Just killing people, mowing people down, setting league records, high score. Because I have Cam Newton and Carson Palmer, Mark Ingram, Todd Gurley, Arian Foster, Mike Evans, Golden Tate, Keenan Allen, Alshon Jeffrey, Ruben Randall, Travis Kelsey, Greg Olson. (laughs) I mean... His team, with Deshaun Jackson ever present on the bench, always hurt, hurt all season, <laughs> hasn't recorded a catch yet this season. It's it's worth noting, right? Worth recalling, worth reiterating that Deshaun Jackson has yet to record a catch this season. It's going to be week eight, and he has a bye week. He won't be playing until week nine. Best case scenario. <laughs> no idea if he's going to play in week nine. I have no idea. Deshaun Jackson. <laughs> Turns out Deshaun Jackson is Deshaun Jackson. After all. So I have this juggernaut. I have a losing record. And I'm surging. I'm killing people. I'm surging. But in that third running back slot, really needed Arian Foster. Have no one else behind him. And then he goes down. And so it's just, there's a chance the team can still succeed, can still make the playoffs, can still potentially win a championship. There has never been, in this league in particular, a team that has won the championship without suffering some kind of injury. This is the NFL. this is just how it is. I've built a few juggernauts in this league before. Most of them get injured leading up to the playoffs, get ravaged by injuries, and they flame out. One time, I won the league once, a couple years ago, looking at the trophy right now. Ah, yes. Health. It's really about health. I mean, you can create a super team. That's a 12-team league. Competitive. These people know what they're doing. I even traded Andy Dalton. I drafted Andy Dalton, and the one trade I did this year was I traded Andy Dalton for Alshon Jeffrey. And you can do that in a two-quarterback league. So I was probably the one person in all of fantasy who traded Andy Dalton, and it actually worked out for them. Everyone else that traded Andy Dalton this year is regretting it. Except me. I'm fine with it. Because Alshon Jeffrey, as we've talked about on the show, is a wide receiver one in fantasy. Potentially a top-five wide receiver in fantasy, given the volume that he is going to experience in Chicago. So I'm bitter! Yes, I'm bitter! Yes, Buzzard, you got me! I'm bitter! I'm not objective about this arian foster injury i'm not and then he comes back and says do your job give us your opinion on which waiver wire running back to pick up who's the back to own in houston okay fine you know i'm not gonna argue i've been revealed as as being a a biased fan of my own fantasy team not the the clinical fantasy analyst that you deserve so i am going to be plowing forward with an efficient show. I'm not going to lament this buzzard message. I am simply going to obey and provide you information. My opinion about the Houston running back situation, first and foremost, because you need this information. It's Wednesday. I've always promised you I will give you the information in the first half of the week to ensure you have it when you're making your waiver claim. So here it is. I am not targeting Alfred Blue aggressively. I know that in name only, he will be the starting running back. And I know that on the official Houston Texans depth chart, at the top, there sits Alfred Blue now, sadly. Going from Arian Foster to Alfred Blue. It's, it's, it's such a downgrade. Because in 2014, Alfred Blue had a negative 25.9 production premium on playerprofiler.com. That's a situation agnostic efficiency metric. 73rd in the league. And you thought, eh, maybe it was bad luck. 3.0 yards per carry. Eh, maybe bad luck. How about 2014? 2015? Negative 22.7. 61st in the league. So he's just not a good running back. He's terrible. His evaded tackles per touch, the playerprofiler.com juke rate, 18.3. That's less than 20% is outside the top 50. He's not evasive. He's not strong. He's not fast. He's not agile. He's not explosive. He's nothing. He's just nothing. He's just a void. He's just a generic cardboard cutout running back. That is Alfred Blue. So, no, I am not aggressively targeting that character, that archetype, for my fantasy team. Because he doesn't have the talent. And we've argued before, well, okay. So, Devonta Freeman's not the most talented running back in the league either, but he's in a great situation. So, isn't it about opportunity? Well, yes. So, Alfred Blue does technically have opportunity, but he's a far less talented running back than Devonta Freeman, number one. And number two... The Houston Texans have an awful running game. That's the problem. This isn't a great situation. There, it's one thing to have great opportunity in a great situation like Devonta Freeman. With Alfred Blue, he is going to be part of a committee with Jonathan Grimes and Chris Polk in an awful situation. That's the worst kind of opportunity there is. I mean, how many teams have worse running games than Houston? Well, if you go to footballoutsiders.com, they have team stats. So, I go to footballoutsiders.com, click on statistics, click on offensive efficiency. And there they have the efficiency rankings for both pass offense and rush offense. Houston is in the bottom five in the NFL in rush offense. They are ahead of only Detroit, Denver, and San Diego in terms of being able to run between the tackles. Now, I know San Diego, Danny Woodhead's been productive in fantasy, but. He's been doing most of his damage catching the ball out of the backfield. But in terms of handoffs, outside runs and inside runs, Houston is in the bottom five of the league because they don't have a quarterback that can threaten the defense, and their offensive line isn't very good. So now you have one of the least talented generic cardboard cutout running backs in the league behind a substandard offensive line on a putrid overall offense. So that's why I'm not targeting Alfred Blue. I'm not spending a lot of money on any Houston Texans running back for that reason. If there is a running back that I am going to acquire on the Texans, it is going to be Chris Polk. Because even when Arian Foster hasn't been in the game in the last three to five weeks, Chris Polk has split carries with Alfred Blue. It hasn't been Alfred Blue, the well-defined number two running back behind Arian Foster. Behind Arian Foster, it's been a mix of Chris Polk and Alfred Blue. And I think Chris Polk is the better running back. Chris Polk has a 31.6% college dominator rating. That's 64th percentile. He was very productive at Washington. And he has a couple exciting metrics. First of all, his speed score is 101.8, 66th percentile. Now, his agility score on the surface, 1134, isn't great. But 1134 for a 222-pound running back is a good agility score. Chris Polk actually has good size-adjusted agility and good size-adjusted straight-line speed. The problem is, on the field, he hasn't been able to translate it. Last year, 3.7 yards per carry. This year, 3.7 yards per carry. So Chris Polk isn't a good running back either, but I believe he's better than Alfred Blue, and he's going to be less expensive to pick up this week, and I believe will be more productive as the season progresses. I'm targeting Chris Polk over Alfred Blue, all things equal. Now, I am only targeting Chris Polk because the Texans have said behind Arian Foster, we're using either Alfred Blue or Chris Polk. But I disagree with that premise. I don't even think that either of those guys should be getting many carries. The guy that should be getting the lion's share of the touches behind Arian Foster is Jonathan Grimes. And Jonathan Grimes has been playing in passing situations. When Arian Foster's not on the field... Jonathan Grimes has been in in passing situations. Jonathan Grimes is their best running back, and it's not even close. All of his workout metrics are good to great. 4.58 speed is good. It's not great, but he has elite burst and agility. And he's also the strongest running back of the three. While he's the smallest, between Chris Polk, Alfred Blue, Jonathan Grimes, he's the only one under 220 pounds, yet he's also by far and away the strongest. He was also by far and away the most productive in college. He was also the one to break out first. Chris Polk has an early breakout age. Jonathan Grimes broke out even younger, 18.7 years old. That was 94th percentile. Jonathan Grimes checks every box and looks a lot like LaShawn McCoy. His underutilization in Houston has been one of my perpetual frustrations with Bill O'Brien. In fact, Bill O'Brien's refusal to use Jonathan Grimes over the past two years was my first clue that Bill O'Brien doesn't know what the hell he's doing. That he's one of the worst coaches in the league. His handling of Jonathan Grimes was my first clue. Because you can go back to 2013, we saw this. Jonathan Grimes posted over 20 fantasy points in week 17 of 2013. After all the other running backs on the depth chart ahead of him went down with injury. It was him and Ray Graham in week 17 in 2013 and they decided to go with Jonathan Grimes. Thank you. They at least know to go with Jonathan Grimes instead of Ray Graham. Congratulations, Houston. You at least got that one right. And if you go back and look through all those games that Alfred Blue has had where he was the starter, he's had games where they went up against light defensive fronts, and they were able to move the defense off the ball and run the ball between the tackles. They had a few games, Houston has, where they faced Light defensive fronts with Alfred Blue as the starter. And Alfred Blue was able to roll up over 100 yards. Alfred Blue has multiple 100-plus yard games on his resume. Yet, because he's inept in the passing game, Alfred Blue has never been able to eclipse that one game that Jonathan Grimes had as the starter in 2013. Let me repeat that. In his one game as a starter... Jonathan Grimes had a better fantasy day than either Alfred Blue or Chris Polk has ever had. And it's like it never happened. It's like it was lost in the sands of time. But now he's back. Now Arian Foster is out for the year with a torn Achilles, and he has an opportunity again to prove himself. There could be more injuries ahead of him. Chris Polk could go down. Alfred Blue could go down. And if there is one running back that could be consistently fantasy relevant because of his work in the passing game, it is Jonathan Grimes. If something happens along the way this season and Jonathan Grimes ends up ascending to the top of that Houston depth chart, then he will be usable every week because he's fantastic in the running game and he's also an underrated runner both between the tackles and outside. He can do it all. Jonathan Grimes, as a running back, can win in all phases. He just needs the opportunity. But that's not even true, because in one game, he did get the opportunity, and he proved it to you! God! So what I'm doing is I'm rostering Chris Polk, first and foremost, as my number one priority. And my secondary priority is Jonathan Grimes. And I'm ignoring Alfred Blue, because I know his price tag is going to be too high. Most people that have high waiver claims will be targeting Alfred Blue. Those that have free agent auction bid money left over in their account will be targeting Alfred Blue. So he's not where you should direct your attention. You should be directing your attention to Chris Polk and secondarily Jonathan Grimes. Now, another running back that I've been getting questions about, Orleans Darkwa. Orleans Darkwa led all Giants running backs in carries last week. He was by far and away the most productive New York Giant in the running game. And that's not really saying a lot, unfortunately. Orleans Darkwa, 8 carries, 48 yards, and a touchdown. Pretty good game. Pretty good game. 10 points. That's what he had. 10 points from a Giants running back is what you expect. Sort of best-case scenario, unless you're going to get one of those Vereen 10-catch games. Outside of Vereen 10-catch game, the best you can expect from a Giants running back is, oh, 10 to 12 fantasy points in PPR. And that's what Orleans Darkwa gave you last week. And I like Orleans Darkwa a lot. If you go to his profile on playerprofiler.com, six foot two fifteen, So he has the size. Productive in college, just like Chris Polk. 32.3% college dominator rating in that 66th percentile. Broke out at an early age, just like Jonathan Grimes, 18.5, 97th percentile at Tulane. And then across the board, all these workout metrics from his 45140 to his 125.8 burst score, which combines the vertical jump and the broad jump into one equally weighted metric on playerprofiler.com, as well as his 11.19 agility score above average across the board. He is an above-average athlete who has demonstrated competence on the football field going back to college and then now at the professional level last week against the Dallas Cowboys. His profile compares intrinsically to Charles Sims. So that is a good thing, not a bad thing. There's a weird criticism I keep hearing about Charles Sims that Charles Sims doesn't have what it takes to be an every down running back at the NFL level. There's no way Charles Sims could be a workhorse. Absolutely no chance Charles Sims could ever be a bell cow at the NFL level. That's not in his range of outcomes. I had this guy at NFLosophy tweet at me that he doesn't believe Charles Sims has what it takes to be an every-down player at the NFL level. And I said, you're wrong. And he came back at me. He says, no, he's not. He's not Belkow material. He goes down too often on first contact. And I said, where's the evidence of that? Prove that to me. Because on playerprofiler.com, Charles Sims' juke rate, 35.3%. Now, the juke rate is evaded tackles per touch. That's the metric. The evaded tackles on playerprofiler.com are tackles that the running back eludes the defender and situations where the running back runs over the defender and causes a missed tackle. So they are missed tackles that the running back causes, as well as tackles that never occur because the running back is so elusive. Think about a spin move. That's all rolled up into the juke rate. Charles Sims this year has a top 10 juke rate. That's really good. You go back through time and look at the running backs that had top 10 juke rates. Most of them are pretty good. Charles Sims, also fantastic in the passing game. His production premium on playerprofiler.com, that situation agnostic efficiency metric on any given down and distance. How does Charles Sims do versus the other running backs at the NFL level? Plus 21.0. That's top 15 in the NFL. And in fantasy... Charles Sims has been one of the underrated running backs this season. He has strung together three straight games with 13 or more fantasy points. Week 3, 13 points. Week 4, 14 points. Week 5, 17 points. Charles Sims, particularly in PPR leagues because he's a good receiver, has been really good. So, that's a good comp for Orleans Darkwa, Charles Sims. Even though there's this stylistic bias against players like Orleans Darqua and Charles Sims, tall players, six foot tall running backs, they look like they run upright because they're tall. That's that's it, right? You know, Adrian Peterson is an upright runner because he's six foot tall, right? He looks like he runs upright because he does run upright because he's six foot tall. And it doesn't matter! That's what's driving this stylistic bias against players like Charles Sims, and you'll start to hear it about Orleans Darkwa as well, I'm sure, because he and Charles Sims look strikingly similar. But just like the running backs in Houston, the problem with the running backs in New York is that the Giants also have an inefficient running game. On FootballOutsiders.com, their rush offense has a negative 9.1% efficiency rating. One of the worst running games in the league. Now, they're not Houston bad, but they're the next tier down. They're a bad running team that has not anointed an every-down player. So while I like Orleans Darkwa in a vacuum, I don't like Orleans Darkwa on the Giants. If we were to helicopter Orleans Darkwa to some other team, let's say Deion Lewis gets injured and the Patriots trade for Orleans Darkwa, then you'll love Orleans Darkwa. He can operate in that Patriots offense swimmingly, I've never used the word swimmingly on this show, he would operate in the Patriots offense swimmingly. Orleans Darkwa could potentially be an RB1 in fantasy with that skill set in the right system, but not in New York. So I'm not overly excited about Orleans Darkwa as well. I'm actually more excited about Orleans Darkwa in Dynasty than I am in Redraft. Because if you look at the roster, Andre Williams is never going to fire. He's had opportunities multiple times The coaching staff and the front office in New York have tried to prop up Andre Williams and anoint him the starter, and he has face planted every time. It's never going to happen for Andre Williams. He's an incredible athlete. He was super productive in college, and for whatever reason, he's not wired to be a great NFL running back, and that's okay. That happens to a lot of running backs. Most running backs never ascend. Andre Williams is one of those running backs. Rashad Jennings is 30 years old. And he's suffered a number of lower body injuries. And he's not going to be the running back in New York for very much longer. Who's left? Shane Vereen, passing down specialist only. So in Dynasty, you'd love to stash Orleans Darkwa in the hopes that he receives 60% of the touches next year. And even in a low volume or inefficient offense, the running back receiving 60% of the touches is going to be productive. It's going to be a fantasy asset. So you like Orleans Darkwa in the long run, but in the short run, you can't like him. I know Rashard Jennings is older, but he's still productive. Rashard Jennings still has juice. If you watch Rashard Jennings play, he's not Joik Bell. He still has juice in his legs. At least one pass that I can recall. Rashard Jennings caught a wheel route, made an athletic play, and then ran past the defenders for a touchdown. Hugely athletic play by Rashard Jennings. He still has that play in him. Joy Cabell does not. So Rashad Jennings isn't going to get benched. They're not going to banish Rashad Jennings and start giving him one or two carries a game. That's not going to happen. I believe that the Giants were looking for a spark. They were looking for something in their running game to get their running game going, and they decided to insert the new guy and see what he could do, and he did well. But it will be a different game plan every week. Sometimes Shane Vereen gets a lot of work. Sometimes he doesn't. And Rashad Jennings isn't going away. So based on that, you just can't get excited about Orleans' dark one now. But I'm absolutely stashing him for the future. Now, another question we have. What about Lamar Miller? What is powering the Lamar Miller turnaround? Is Dan Campbell the reason? (sighs) Yes and no. Dan Campbell is the reason and he's not the reason. The first thing is, Dan Campbell has been the coach of the Miami Dolphins for only two games. So there's that he's had two games against bad teams. Joe Philbin is sitting at home, wrapped in a shawl, in the dark, watching these games, crying. That could have been my win. My career could have been turned around. Why did you let me go when you did? Cameron Wake got healthy. Brandon Albert and Deion Sims returned. Why? sobbing into a pillow. You can see Joe Philbin. I feel so bad for him. They fired him before playing Houston. I mean, that's just perfect. Now the schedule gets hard. Now they play the Patriots on Thursday night football. Now we'll see what Dan Campbell's made up. We're not going to see what Dan Campbell's made of. We're going to see how good the Dolphins are. This is a good litmus test. The Patriots game is a great litmus test for teams to see who they really are. The Jets acquitted themselves well against the Patriots. Clearly, after watching the Jets almost beat the Patriots, they played better than the Patriots in that game, you walked away thinking, wow, the Jets are pretty good. So we're going to find out what Miami is this week. Watching them blow out Houston wasn't exactly a bellwether performance. But what is Dan Campbell's influence on the team? How much responsibility can you assign to Dan Campbell for this winning? The Dolphins are on a two-game winning streak. They're now 3-3. and They're poised to make the playoffs if they can continue this momentum. But is that Dan Campbell, or what is the reason? I know one thing is not the reason. Dan Campbell's toughness is not the reason for the winning. Dan Campbell's toughness has nothing to do with the Dolphins' turnaround. But I believe there is something about Dan Campbell that you can trace back to the roots of the team's resurgence. The fact that Dan Campbell was a tight end. He was a tight end for the Lions, Cowboys. He was a backup tight end in the NFL. And he was known for his toughness. He brushes his teeth with one of those metal brushes that you scrape rust off iron bars with, right? Yeah, he flosses with a chain. Yeah, Dan Campbell. But there is something in Dan Campbell's past, I believe there is something about Dan Campbell's sensibilities that is at the roots of the Dolphins' success on offense. And I believe it's the fact that he was a tight end because since he took over, you can draw the line straight, you can trace it straight back to when Dan Campbell took over. The Dolphins shifted to... More 12 personnel, more two tight end formations. They became a 12 personnel oriented team. It happened right after Dan Campbell took over and Dan Campbell was a former tight end. So this isn't surprising. Now, Dan Campbell's tenure, as I mentioned, him becoming the interim head coach coincided with the return of Brandon Albert serendipitously, right? Oh, thanks. I'll be your interim head coach. And we get our stud left tackle back at the same time. How fortunate for me. But what I think was just as important was that Deion Sims returned at the same time as Brandon Albert. I like Deion Sims. Deion Sims is the ideal 12 personnel tight end. He's both a good blocker and a good receiver. I believe that Deion Sims could be a fantasy tight end one if he were given the every down role. If something were to happen to Jordan Cameron, and Jordan Cameron has a long history of injuries, both lower body injuries and concussions. If something were to happen to Jordan Cameron, I would be very excited about Deion Sims and his potential because he has the size. He's 260 pounds plus. He has the draft capital. He was a well-regarded prospect. He's a fantastic blocker, and he's been a very efficient receiver when called upon. But now the Dolphins are running 12 personnel there. They have... Posted up Deion Sims in line, and they're playing Jordan Cameron on the other side. So what happens? When you start playing 12 personnel, there's an additional blocker on the field for Lamar Miller. Ah, right? You can trace back Lamar Miller's turnaround this year to the Dolphins switching to more two tight end formations. Against Tennessee, Lamar Miller had over 100 all-purpose yards. Against Houston, he had almost 200 all-purpose yards. Thank you, Deion Sims. Thank you, Brandon Albert. But now that there's a seventh lineman on the field, Lamar Miller suddenly has more room to run. It's not a coincidence. And with Sims back, Jordan Cameron can now play the move tight end position more frequently. And that's really what his proper role is. Jordan Cameron as an inline tight end was not ideal. That was suboptimal. He was playing out of position. He's not a good blocker. He's never been a good blocker. He never will be a good blocker. He's a basketball player. The former basketball players are never good blockers at the NFL level, ever. That's a rule. You can write that down on the tablets, on the mountaintop. So now all the proper pieces have clicked into place on the Dolphins' offensive line. Brandon Albert and Deion Sims. And it just makes sense that a former tight end in Dan Campbell would appreciate the value of a versatile tight end like Deion Sims in a way that perhaps Joe Philbin could not. And it makes sense that a former tight end would emphasize personnel packages that feature the tight end, that leverage the skills of the tight end. Okay, their last two opponents, Tennessee and Houston, they stink. But Tennessee just got done holding Atlanta to 10 points, and yet the week before got blown out by Miami. So, even though it's a small sample, there's something to this. There is something about Dan Campbell that has made a difference, and I think it's his tight endness. Now we have a Chris Cragg update. Chris Cragg, seven more targets, only two catches, but still, seven targets, over 15 yards per reception. Chris Cragg, you gotta get him stashed. <laughs> I'm stashing him. In our last show, I just said, hey, go to Chris Cragg's profile and check him out. I'll give it to you right now. Chris Cragg's metrics. Runs of 4-5 flat, 98th percentile. Burst score, 91st percentile. Agility score, 74th percentile. Catch radius, 86th percentile. Because Sammy Watkins and Percy Harvin are out, they've decided to play a tight end in the slot in three receiver sets. That's Chris Cragg, and they're targeting him a lot. He's only 25 years old. Some tight ends take a while to percolate. So I'm excited about Chris Cragg in my dynasty leagues. I am continuing to stash him. And I think you should too, because someone with these workout metrics, with this level of athleticism, if he is given an opportunity like Deion Sims, he can be productive. Deion Sims will be productive because he will play in every situation. A big tight end that can block well will have a close to a 100% snap share. He'll be in there in every formation. In every situation on the field, and he'll score touchdowns on play action. There'll be a lot of opportunity for Deion Sims. His stature will make that so. His ability to block will make that so. Chris Cragg isn't the blocker that Deion Sims is, but Chris Cragg's also a lot more athletic. If you're looking at purely move tight ends, this is what you're looking for: the uber athlete at the move tight end position. Chris Cragg is like the Jordan Cameron. To Deion Sims. If you had to pick someone who's comparable on playerprofiler.com, his best comparable is Ben Watson, but he also looks a lot like Jordan Cameron. That's the kind of player Chris Cragg is. And so his ceiling is actually a little bit lower than Deion Sims if we're looking long run, dynasty stash tight ends, because he will never be that inline blocker that can play on every snap. But his athleticism paints the picture of a player who, in a slot role, could be productive, could be a a low-end, tight-end one in fantasy. Now, I have to say, Charles Johnson has to be the most snake-bitten wide receiver in the National Football League. People love mocking Charles Johnson. I will send a tweet out, and the reply to that tweet will just be, Charles Johnson, no context, totally irrelevant, has nothing to do with what we're talking about. My followers will just troll me by just tweeting at me, Charles Johnson, Charles Johnson. And we talked to Matthew Friedman on the Football Diehard show last Friday. And I said, what do you think about Charles Johnson? He said, bury him. Bury Charles Johnson. I'm not ready to bury Charles Johnson. What did we talk about with Travis Benjamin and Leonard Hankerson? Players that experience torn ACLs early in their career need to be given extra time. You need to be more lenient with them. You need to give them more years on your taxi squad to develop. Because a torn ACL can retard your development for one to two years. We've seen this. Leonard Hankerson finally ascending in year four or five. Travis Benjamin finally ascending in year four or five because they lost years healing and rehabbing from torn ACLs. And you're missing all that time, all that development time. And then when you come back, you're then parked behind other receivers on the depth chart. So, It's a huge disadvantage to have a torn ACL early in your career. So I'm giving Charles Johnson more latitude because of that. Just like we should have given Travis Benjamin more latitude. And it would have paid dividends. Just like I gave Leonard Hankerson more latitude. Look at Ladarius Green. Ladarius Green didn't even suffer a torn ACL. And has taken him four years to be an every down asset in fantasy. This year now... Ladarius Green is in the top five in terms of usable weeks at the tight end position. He's been very consistent. 10 to 18 points every week for Ladarius Green. He's finally realizing his potential. That great athleticism that we knew Ladarius Green has, just like Chris Cragg has. Ladarius Green's finally realizing it four years later. And this is also the year of the old man. Chris Johnson's 30 years old. He's having one of his best seasons. Darren McFadden, is having his best season since 2010. James Jones is having his first efficient season ever at age 31. Josh McCown is 36 years old. Gary Barnage is the second best tight end in all of football behind Rob Gronkowski. He's 30 years old, and we've never heard his name before. But what are these last three guys, James Jones, Josh McCown, Gary Barnage, what do they have in common? They all went to small schools. They were all underappreciated, wallowing on a depth chart, waiting for opportunity. Charles Johnson has had opportunities. He's had a half a season as a starter. And in that sample, he had four games with 12 fantasy points. I believe Charles Johnson is a good receiver. But Charles Johnson is the most snake-bitten wide receiver in the NFL. And I'm not losing faith.